Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. Last week, we had a very interesting, dynamic podcast at my special guest, Shawnee O'Neill, from the Basketball Housewives. Interesting show, lots of drama. But more importantly, we were focusing on the topic of dyslexia, and it's something that's dear to her heart, and I think we learned a lot. We had a wonderful expert on, answered a lot of questions, both from Shawnee, from emails, calls, voicemails, and it really was able to educate us to what dyslexia is, break down the stereotype, the fear, and hopefully remove the barrier so that there's more openness to identifying it and then getting the treatment. And so with that said, Shawnee and I decided that we were going to start to form a foundation, and I think we're going to go through all the steps to be able to name it through Twitter and have contests and all kinds of stuff to incorporate all of you so that you're part of this movement that we want to go forward with on identifying dyslexia, breaking down the stereotypes, and allowing the children to get the testing and the help that they need to be the people they can be. So take a listen. It was a great podcast, and you can find them all on my website at www.drsophie.com or on iTunes in my phone app. So help yourself. They're always there 24 hours a day. This week, we have a really interesting topic, as we do every week. The new approach to bipolar disorder. We're going to be talking to an expert who has a different take on the disorder. So give me a call. We're going to be talking about bipolar disorder with our guest, Tom Wooten. Thomas, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? Welcome. I'm too. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about you and your and the extensive, it looks like a ton of work you've done in the books you've written on this disorder, because I find this disorder very fascinating. Well, I do too, um, because I have it. And um, I have ever since I was having my first full-on manic episode at nine years old, and I'm 56 now, so it's been with me my whole life. Uh, do you think it's genetic? Well, there's a lot of indications that there are uh, instances where it runs in families. So that leads towards genetics. They haven't found the exact gene, but I think within the next few years, they'll find it. So you believe there is a component that's genetic to this disease? Yes, there is. All right. There's also a social component. And People what is... can have this condition and never have it be triggered by events in their lives. It's just lays dormant for them. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about you, and then we'll get into this. Well, I have had off and on episodes of mania where you get no sleep, your mind races a thousand miles an hour, you hallucinate, you do all kinds of things and which we can get to. Just to be clear, and, that's without drugs or alcohol, right? And that's without drugs or alcohol. And then periods of deep depression where everything slows down and you tend to um, experience pain throughout my life. But concurrent with that, I also spent a lot of time in monasteries and practicing meditation and those kind of things, which ended up being some very powerful tools. So that was helpful to you? Absolutely. It didn't trigger things? Correct. Okay. But unfortunately, I never got diagnosed until I was 42 years old. So you were going through a life of this cyclic mood stuff, not knowing it? Not even knowing what it was. Did it wreak havoc on your life? Well, it wrecked a lot of havoc in my life. Um, you know, lost jobs, lost relationships, all kinds of problems. I was fortunate that I had some level of intelligence or some level of abilities that gave me 
an ability to get another job and function well. Um, when I first got diagnosed, it seemed like a death sentence. It's scary, I, I bet. I, I bought into all of this, oh, no, you have this terrible thing that's never going to go away. And it was devastating. So what did you do I mean, that turned it around for you? Well, on the other hand of the devastation, all of a sudden everything made sense. I could see that there are reasons why these happened. There are reasons why I got in these kinds of troubles. So, so it was a combination of a horrible thing and a kind of a wonderful thing at the same time. And so were you combining like your approach to this disorder, both from a medical perspective and the research, as well as your own personal understanding? Because I want to know what this approach is of yours. Well, initially, the approach was standard medicine treatment. Right. And I was over-medicated, like unfortunately a lot of us are, and it took some time to find a dosage of medication and a type of medication, which for me happens to be lithium, worked incredibly well. Um, but as we moved towards those dosages, when they were too high, there was a price I was paying. Right. I was literally laying next to the toilet because I was throwing up all day long because of um, lithium has some toxic effects. Right. Well, once the medicine started working and, and put the thing into kind of a remission, except for remission isn't permanent. All of the studies say that you can go into remission for typically a year or two, whether you're on meds or not, by the way, and it will come back. Right. Well, during those periods, I would study and I would learn and I would find out not just all the medical approaches, but all of the um, what Mike called Eastern philosophy approaches. Um, okay. Meditation, yoga, all of those kinds of things. And that was my background. I had lived in a monastery. So I started moving towards different approaches, but never throwing out the medical approaches for many years. So, and, and still strongly advocate that. Good. So you support that there has to be a piece of a lot of parts to make the whole. Absolutely. So what do you... What we, what we need to do is we need to look at, I have this problem, and I need to have all of the tools available to approach this problem. And I don't think we should throw out any tool that has some kind of efficacy for us. Okay. And then what are your thoughts about bipolar disorder in general and its connection, if at all, between substance abuse? Um, some say that 50% of people with bipolarity are also addicts. Right. And they also say that 50% of addicts are also bipolar, right. or at least some other kind of mental illness. So there's a close relationship between the two. There is a certain amount of addictive personalities in it, even for myself. My addictions didn't lead towards drugs, even though I had done just about every drug you can imagine somewhere along the line. I didn't have an addiction towards drugs. I had an addiction towards meditation. I had an addiction towards something that was healthy for me. Right. But it still doesn't mean it's okay. No, it still doesn't mean it's okay. And I lived in a monastery where people who overdid that addiction, even when they went back out into regular life, that addiction got in their way just as much as any other addiction. Absolutely. So do you think there is a connection? I think there's a pretty intense connection between an addictive personality or addictive type and a bipolar type. Okay. 
I, I buy that too. Let's take a caller and then we'll talk more. Voicemail. Then we'll talk more. Sounds great. Hi, Dr. Sophie. Um, my name is Caitlin. I'm from San Diego. Um, I have a friend who I'm pretty sure is suffering from bipolar disorder. And I was just wondering if you think that I should talk to her about it and what else I can do to help her. Uh, thanks so much. Bye. What do you say to people like that? Well, there's a stigma around bipolar. And we have to be very careful with that, that we don't feed that stigma. What is it? Well, stigma is an interesting concept that no one really has a clear definition of, but it's generally thought that there's some misunderstandings of what's going on, and we get judged harshly. Well, to me, there's two kinds of stigma. There's the one of, I can't get a job because they know I'm bipolar, and they don't understand bipolar enough to know, and, and they fear it. And there's a worse one that I don't understand bipolar enough, and I stigmatize myself by thinking I can't. And when we talk to somebody who has it, we have to be careful of both sides of that. It's important that we have people around us that love us and support us. But if they become judgmental and tell us what to do, we tend to go against it. Okay, so go through those two stigmas again. One is that I have it and I can't get a job? Yeah, that's, that's a self-stigma. Right. I look at this as a disease that I will never overcome, that is going to limit my options in life. So you're victimized. That, that's the worst of the two. Yeah, you're victimized by it. Yeah, I, I accept myself as a victim and I see myself that way. Okay, and what's the other? And the other is, you won't hire me for a job. You um, make an assumption that because I am a person who has bipolar, I'm probably going to go crazy and kill someone, which is what shows up in the news. Got it. Okay. So really, the self-stigmatizing one is really the one that paralyzes you the most. Correct. Okay. And, and related to that is something that is of my invention about 10 years ago, and that is there's, there's a difference between bipolar disorder, which is a medical illness, because medicine helps us treat the disorder. Right. And, and disease is something that adversely affects us, either incapacitates our ability to function or causes suffering for us. So if we would accept that as a definition of disease or disorder, most people with bipolar have it in disorder. Right. But some of them fall into the disease model. Yeah. And most of them do because the disease model is the predominant model just about everyone calls it bipolar disorder, as if that's one word. And they see it as, I have the bi bipolar disease. Well, those that have training and understand what's going on and learn how to moderate themselves don't need to completely eradicate the disease. They can have days when they're a little bit high. They can have days when they're a little bit low, just like everyone else does. Got it. And we call that having bipolar in order. It's not a disorder. I figured out how to be bipolar. Interesting. And, and it's a huge distinction because what a lot of people do is they say, I need to be in remission. They, they call that recovery. Right. And every sign of being bipolar is a sign of illness. Right. And they, they don't understand that the sign of illness is it's incapacitating me in some way and I'm suffering in some way. And is that what you refer to as your positive approach? Yes, that's, what, that's what's called bipolar in order. 
And, and now we can say, well, what are the limits to bipolar in order? Certainly you can't be incredibly deeply depressed and be in order. That, that's the assumption people make. And the most interesting question of that is, where's the line? Yeah. Where does bipolar turn from an in-ordered condition? Is it 10% of what's possible in mania? Is it 20%? Is it 30 is Where it, is the line between I can completely be highly functional and suffer free? Where do I cross the line into disorder? And, and I think that's been, different for each person. It's different for each person, but it can be taught. And if we can teach people to understand where that line is, right now we can grow. So are these the typical things we would tell our caller that you got to break through that stigma and you got to help somebody get control of it by getting educated, getting diagnosed, getting the right treatment with lots of different pieces to that treatment? Absolutely. And... Don't accept it as a as a I'm going to diminish my life forever. Right. Don't accept it as a disorder. Get it in order. Right. And, and but that means I have to go through some pretty clear stages. And if we have a minute, we can talk about. There's a concept called the six stages of growth that I created. And yeah, I want to hear them. Well, what happens is is when bipolar overwhelms us, and that's different for everyone. One person may not get overwhelmed until their depression is very intense. Another person may get overwhelmed at a much lesser level of depression. Right. So at some stage, we become overwhelmed. Right. And we end up in a crisis. Yep. We're, we're at risk of suicide. We attempt suicide. We end up hospitalized. We're in some kind of crisis that is life-threatening. Right, the tipping point. And for ourselves and others, even. And we right. call that the crisis stage. Right. And everyone does. Well, we don't live our life in crisis. We live most of our lives, even inside the hospital. We're not in that crisis moment. Once, I, you know, we put someone in the hospital and we give them proper medication, they're no longer in a crisis of imminent death. Right. They're what we call managing it. Yep. They're using a tool, medicine. I agree. Therapy. Some, some help to manage that condition, but the condition still exists. We call that the managed stage. It still exists. It's still a threat. It's still having negative repercussions, but it also has a few positive ones that we like. But we're managing to stay at least safe. So the first stage is a crisis stage. The second stage is we're managing it. Okay. And then we're trying through our tools to get to the next stage, which is recovery. We no longer have the condition. We're in remission. We've cut down the symptoms. We're no longer feeling the highs and the lows. And, and right. we're, we're in a stage where you're stable. pretty much recovered or stable from it. Okay. Then what's and number four? Those are the three stages of disorder. Okay. Because even though I'm recovered, I still see my life as one of having bipolar disorder, and I'm still living in fear. Right. That I could wake up tomorrow in another mania. Right or another depression, so it's still seen as a disorder in my life. I still have bipolar disorder. Got it. Most people, that's the model that they live in. There's this three stages, crisis, managed, recovery. All of the studies show that recovery isn't permanent. 
So right. I'm going to bounce back in periodically to manage stage. And if, unfortunately, and all too common, back in the crisis periodically for the rest of my life. That's that's the standard prognosis of bipolar. Okay. So then we move on to what? Four, five, and six? Yeah. Stage four is I start changing the way I see it, and I can't do that until I'm in recovery. So I have to use the tools to get the recovery. Right. Now that I'm in recovery, I've got an option. I can wait until the next problem arises, or I can grow. I can step a little bit outside of this narrow comfort zone into a very low level of mania. Typically, that low level of mania is lower than the people were first able to even recognize. They didn't even know they were manic at the time. We teach them to see it much sooner right? and, and recognize it with a lot more clarity. What do you call that stage? We call that freedom. Okay. Because we've become free of being trapped inside the model. And we step a little tiny bit outside of our comfort zone into a very controlled environment, into a very low level of mania or depression. Okay, and so that's real... immediately step back inside our comfort zone. That's really using, no step four is freedom. Yeah, got it. And okay, that's the fourth stage. Okay, and as we learn that, our range of abilities grows. I'm able to now have. 20% manias and 20% depressions and learn from them and understand what's going on. And function. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, now I start growing further and I step into what we call true stability. Now, remember we said recovery, you said stability. And, and that's generally what we call people in recovery is because they're stable, except for if you think about it, they're not really stable. Any day, they could trip back into another crisis. Yeah, they're newly stable, basically. <laughs> yeah. True stability is, I am now experiencing intensities of manias and depressions that used to cause crisis for me. But now you can tolerate them and work through them. Now I can not only tolerate them, but I function extremely highly in them and see them as an advantage in my life. They give me insights that I otherwise would not have had. They give me abilities that I otherwise would not have had. Take an artist, for example, who uses their depressions. As long as they don't get outside their comfort zone, they use it as right. a source of, of creativity. Right. Okay. So what's number six then? Number six is what we call self-mastery. And self-mastery, not everyone gets to self-mastery in life because they don't value it as much. They don't want to put in the tremendous amount of effort it would take to get there. What is Just it? like everyone doesn't climb to the top of the Himalayas. What is you know, it, though? Self-mastery means we can have any experience in life and function highly to it and see it in a state called equanimity. It's just as beautiful and just as rich and just as valuable as any other state in life. Okay, but some of our listeners are going to say, like, what does that really mean? What that really means is I'm currently talking to you in what is one of the deepest states of depression I've ever been in. And making sense. Yeah, but I'm having the hallucinations, I'm having the thoughts of suicide, I'm having the intense pains. But you're mastering them. But to me, they're rich and wonderful. And they actually enhance my ability to focus 
and to be able to have this conversation is okay. enhanced by the fact that I'm deeply, deeply depressed. But it's not stopping you from making sense and being connected on the level you need to be to be productive, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, and so, if you look at the other end of that, if you saw the movie called A Beautiful Mind, John Nash won a Nobel Prize in economics because he hallucinated. No, I get it. I get it. Okay. So the hallucination actually enhanced his ability to function in the world of economics. Got it. Okay, I want to take a uh, email that we got. Uh, Michael from New York is asking us, how does someone get tested for or diagnosed with bipolar disorder? So what do you think about testing? Well, there is no blood test. And they're starting to play around with brain scans, but there's, they're five to ten years away from even remotely understanding what's going on. And, and I would suggest they may be even further, because, yes, there will be a brain scan that will say, these parts of a bipolar brain fire more often than others, but they won't be able to tell the difference between somebody in order and in disorder. Okay, that's fair. So, so, so there's no physical test yet, but there are questions you can ask someone, and there are very simplistic ones that say, have you had problems sleeping, and have you had some negative thoughts, and you know some pretty simplistic things that are the standard tests right now. Okay, and how about psychological testing? Well, they do a little kind of simplistic psychological testing to say, yes, you are a person with bipolar or likely to have bipolar. And what they don't test for is whether you're in order or not. And even someone who gets a full-on workup for an hour or two with their psychiatrist, many, many psychiatrists will forget to ask the most important question of all. Which is? Is it incapacitating you and making you suffer in any way? Right, to your life. Because the assumption is that it is. But not always. But not always. All right, let's take a voicemail, then we'll talk more. Okay. My name is Scott, um, and I have a friend who I've known since high school. Um, he and I were really great friends growing up, and we, you know we've been, all, we've been really close friends over the last few years. He's a great athlete. He was a great high school football player. He's a great computer programmer. And it seems like he'll go through these stages where he's like the center of attention, really positive, outgoing guy. And then it seems like he's completely disinterested in conversations with friends or anyone around him. And he's never been diagnosed with anything. And I was just curious to know if there's a way to know if this is you know, bipolar or if he's just a volatile person. Thanks. Well, the only way to know if he's bipolar is to get a proper diagnosis. And we can't do that on a very brief thing. Right, exactly. But it sounds pretty bipolar to me. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it sounds like maybe a proper diagnosis would be a smart move. Yeah, I agree. I just think that the word bipolar is so often thrown around when somebody seems maybe moody or unstable that it gets a, you know, a applied to things that maybe aren't bipolar. And I really think the only thing to do is what you just said. you got to be diagnosed properly. Because if you don't know what you're, what you're treating, you can't treat it. I think you're absolutely right. All right. Let me read you an uh, email from Felix in Austin. He's asking, how should I be dealing with the mood swings of my bipolar wife? I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but I'm often aggravated by it. Is there ever a time to push back? 
Well, I don't think you should be embarrassed that it aggravates you at all. I think we should acknowledge that it does and make that part of the issue that we're dealing with. One piece of that is it wouldn't hurt to have someone who is an expert in marriage and family therapy to help you sort out the relationship issues and find a way that you can properly communicate and support each other in your relationship. So it's okay for him to be aggravated by it? Oh, absolutely. See, we we don't want to say that there's something wrong with I feel angry, so therefore I suppress my anger for the rest of my life. Right. I should find an appropriate response to those feelings. Got it. And bipolar, having a bipolar spouse, is going to push you in places that... You've never been pushed before. I got that. And may totally destroy your relationship, but if you work through it, you'll find a far better relationship than any of your friends or people you know. That's well said. Because it got deeper. I I agree, and I think that's really a very well said support for marriage and working through relationships, because there's going to be something in everything. Yeah, absolutely. So So now we have to look at the bipolar piece. If I had someone that I was married to, and and see, I'm on the other side, I'm the one with it, right? that that refused to ever acknowledge or take any responsibility for it, and we've tried everything, maybe that person needs to be let go. Okay. On the other hand, if that person will make even the tiniest incremental step, they deserve our love and support and and allow them not to have to grow at the, at the pace that we expect them to. Because they've shown the ability and the interest to grow, you're saying? Yeah. So now, now that they've said, I will acknowledge I have a problem, maybe not bipolar because of the stigma, I have a problem, and I recognize that I need to grow. If somebody's willing to do that, we should give them every break in the world to grow at the pace they can and not the pace we think they should. But you got to be dealing with the frustration that comes with the impatience of waiting or expectation, right? Yeah, and, and that is where a marriage and family therapist or an expert can well, help us diffuse. sort out that line. Right, and diffuse There it. is some line that, you know, I'm not going to allow somebody to barely grow ever and use it as an excuse. Then you should leave. Yeah, there has to be some level of reasonableness. Unfortunately, the level of reasonableness too often turns on the side that if you don't change by tomorrow, I'm leaving. Got it. No, I agree. I agree. Okay. And, And once they're willing to, what we need to do is have them properly assessed. And like we were speaking of earlier, an assessment isn't a five minute checklist. Right. We have a 12 hour assessment program. And what's different about what we're asking is we're saying at different intensities. No one usually asks those questions. So when you're intensely depressed or intensely manic, how intense is it? What are all of the factors involved? And what's the least intense you've ever seen? Because I think think the important thing here is to make sure that people understand that this disorder, this disease, however you see it, it doesn't have to be incapacitating. And, and I've had many patients who are very able to tell me those very things you're asking. They're in it, but they can still describe it a- adequately and really, really well to help me help them manage it and identify those key points and triggers and those lines to not cross. 
That's wonderful to hear. And I think a lot of that goes along with a high IQ, because oftentimes I see patients with bipolar disorder with a very high IQ. They tend to have high IQs. And I think the educational piece is key to this disorder, disease, whatever you want to call it, as a huge tool to manage it, along with medicines, therapies, and whatever else you use in your toolbox to be able to help you manage. I totally, 100% agree with you. So, Thomas, thank you for all of this great information. Tell me where we can find you and uh, your books. Well, I'm at BipolarAdvantage.com. So if you take the word bipolar, B-I-P-O-L-A-R, and Advantage, A-D-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, and cram them together, you get www.BipolarAdvantage.com. Got it. And that's where we can find you. there you can get access to everything we do. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. You've really shed some great light and a good and different way to think about this disorder and disease. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, that was interesting. I was uh, accompanied by Tom Wooten, who is a bipolar patient himself, but has done a ton of research and a lot of writing on it. He's at www.bipolaradvantage.com. He's got a bunch of books, great information, great website and a lot of good resources so check it out it's been very helpful and i'm sure the more we read the more we dig into his stuff the more we're going to learn and it really gives you a lot of hope whether you're a patient suffering with bipolar disorder or you're a family member spouse child whatever who lives with or near someone or a friend because it is a disorder that can be controlled dealt with managed and allow you to lead a very healthy and productive life so don't be afraid of it, embrace it, learn about it, and it really gives you the power to overcome a lot of the misperceptions about it. But it is a disorder, it is something that we do have to take a look at, and I think Tom gave us a really good spin on it. I think it's important to take away these four things, though, today, because we do need at the basic level to understand that bipolar disorder is genetic. You can and will and are going to be born with it if it is genetically in your family. The tests are not always precise and exact of how that comes down the lineage of your family, but it is in the genes. And there is, of course, the social perspective and aspect to it as well, but it is a genetic disorder. And I think that the longer we understand that, the deeper we understand that, the more research we do on it, I think we can pinpoint it down to where it's going to happen. But I think in general, you have to know it's genetic. There's no labs. There's no blood tests we can do. There's some basic psychological testing we can do. But there's some good research coming out as far as imagery from scanning, CAT scans, PET scans, MRIs that are going to lead us to being able to predict and know who, who will have it, who has it now, how severe it is, and really good treatment. So there's a lot of hope and research on the horizon. The second tip I really want you to understand is it is a disease that is managed by tools. And the more tools you have in your toolbox, the more you'll be able to manage, the better your life is going to be. Those tools can be anything from medicines to therapies to environmental tools such as meditation, yoga. All of those things are going to add up to a bigger and more solid whole and a better life. So you got to have your toolbox filled. Number three, I think it's important to understand that many times people don't do well in this disorder because they live in the stigma of, I'm sick, I'm a victim, I'll never get better, I have a disease. The bottom line is, you can manage this. You have to get out of that mind frame, and whatever it's going to take, it's going to take, but you got to do it. And oftentimes, it's those tools and step number two we talked about that are going to help you get through that. 
And number four, I think it's important, and this was a point brought out by Tom today, that bipolar disorder does not have to be bipolar disorder. You can be bipolar in order, which really means you get a hold of the disease, you educate yourself, you manage it, you know your limits, you know your triggers, you use every tool to the best of the of the best of the way that you can bring it together so that it makes a solid whole and you live your life. So there are four great tips to go by, but I think in general, take a listen to everything. Look at Tom's work because you're going to learn a lot and see bipolar disorder from a whole different perspective. Well, that was it today. So thank you for listening. I think we learned a lot about bipolar disorder. I truly appreciate you listening. All of your voicemails, all of your emails, all of your calls, all podcasts are available on my website, www.drsophie.com, and on my iPhone, iTunes, phone app, which is free and loaded with info. Again, www.drsophie.com is the website, iPhone app, Android app, all available for free. Voicemail, one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Side by side, my book is the Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Program for conflict, Conflict-Free Communication, which everybody's got to have. You've got to get a copy. Every caller gets a free copy. And follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. You'll learn a lot. You'll know where I'm going to be next. And you can support through it, and you can weigh in on a lot of different things. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And the most important thing, no matter what, is don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. You gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down.